Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome once again to The Apostrophone, a podcast of the Wall Street Journal that is recorded on Fridays. Today, we are recording live on site at Dementap on Belmont, and with us is Sean Podgurski, the co-owner of Dementap and the Donnerman Food Truck. Sean, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing very well. Uh, right off the bat, I want to note that in my research for this podcast, I noticed that you had been referred to in print as, quote, one of the rock and roll princes of European street food. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, I, I, I'm not going to affirm or deny that nickname. I don't hate it. That's the first time I've heard of it. So I have to process it right now. Do you feel like it could be true? I think it could be true because I don't feel like I'm quite a king <laughs> at this point in my life. But I can take, I can accept Prince, sure, and I do like rock and roll. And that's kind of where this whole journey began, right? Was with you playing uh, guitar in a metal band? Was that it? Bass. Bass. In, in not a metal band, in like a. Uh, like a heavier-sided indie rock band with a lot of heart. Called? Sybris. Sybris. S-Y-B-R-I-S. We're on Spotify. Uh, is that still a going concern? No, it's still. It, we, we were done years ago. Uh, and you basically had gone um, through that, and I know, not to front-run too much of your story, but you had been um, working in the mental health field uh throughout that sort of musical career but then it was it was what like seven or eight years ago that you guys decided to do the food truck seven years ago my uh, partner in the food truck Phil he's around here somewhere he could pop in and say hi he's a little camera shy uh, there's no cameras <laughs> him and I were in the band together too and uh, you know we were friends before we played music together not too long before and we just always kind of work well, weirdly well together. You know, it's just like the food truck happened out of that friendship and when music. You, when you say it just happened, though, because this was like before the John Favreau movie, before everyone else in the world decided to do a food truck, because you guys were like one of the original food trucks in Chicago, right? Uh, we were second wave. There was like five or six before us, and then there was a second wave, like when they allowed, there were the people who did it before they allowed cooking, and then we kind of came in with the cooking, and then there was the third wave after us, which was like... Was was it like... It's not ska, it's food truck. <laughs> I'm talking about food trucks like it's ska. No, I, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's... <laughs> I think there are real parallels for you, Steph. <laughs> um, was it was it like Ghostbusters, like when you guys actually purchased the, the truck, which you know obviously is probably out right now? Like, I guess it's still down. really. We had a friend who like wanted to start a food truck. He was more of the investor, and it was just he's like, if you guys want to start a food truck, I'll help you. You guys do the work and like. Phil and I just stopped. Phil was like, I found a food truck and flying down to Miami to buy it. And he flew down to Miami for like 12 hours to look at this food truck to kick the tires. And then I got it and they shipped it out. Like literally so kicking the tires. Like, We're going to take it. This guy says, because 
you know, we weren't happy with where we were post band. We were just kind of there was a vacuum. Phil and I are very creative and uh, high energy, and just like regular day jobs wasn't working for us. And we saw a window to get out of it. And this was kind of post. This is like 2012. Yeah, it was kind of post recession. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it wasn't. It was like, yeah, it wasn't great out there. What, but what was the like psyching yourself up process? Were you like watching how to food truck videos oh, yeah, on YouTube like, or? YouTube and it up. And we actually got to go to Europe to like try all the food and stuff. Like it was a very exciting time. It kind of felt like Anthony Bourdainish a little bit. Like going like wow, we're actually going to Europe and eating these different foods and. That once you were like two months into it, you're like, how the fuck were we ever not going to do this? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any concerns? Because you're, you're like 6'2"? Six 6'5". Six you're 6'5"? Wow, that was a really bad estimate on my part. I'll, I'll have to edit. I'm about 6'2 wide around the belly. <laughs> I'll have to edit and re-record. Um, uh, what, what was your anxiety like about being, you know, big guy in a little truck? I have anxiety about everything. I get that anxiety about getting out of bed. So it wasn't... Because of your height or just in general? Just yeah. in general. <laughs> <laughs> just throw it in the rich tapestry of the anxiety of my life. So, so, so you guys get the food truck up. You put some awesome looking art on it. You sort of have the cuisine tested out. What was day one out in the field? Day one was Dark Lord Day 2013. Well, first we did a Dark Lord Day where we just sold currywurst at a card table. So you did the 20, like the 2012 where you that tested was, out the cuisine? Yeah, poster right here on the wall. Uh, this was our first Dark Lord. Yeah. 2012 was on a table. I have to unpause it. So just to offer some context for the dozens of listeners of whom some subset might not know what Dark Lord Day is. That is when Three Floyds in Munster uh, does a beer release that people line up all over for. And you guys first did the food table to make sure yeah. that it had legs. Also my friend Kelly Whitesell who owns Escal Boutique over in Bucktown she yeah. had a, uh, a little party like come into yeah. the boutique sale and she let us sell the currywurst there. So it was one of those two was the first. And then we, the following year we did the truck and that was a trial by fire. Like we opened up and there were 700 people lined up to eat our food. What, I mean was that uh, you know, having been through, I feel like anytime you're opening anything, there's this chaos at the outset, regardless of how busy you are or aren't. You know, I mean, you hear a lot of stories of like the first wave of like three customers comes in and everyone freaks out like they're, you know, under live fire for the first time. So that was like, it was just you and Phil. It was, you know, we had a crew, we had Phil's wife and a couple other friends of ours. Kira and Nathan, they helped out. And then I just stood at the window and took orders and everybody else. It was pretty much the same setup as we have now. So we learned, you know, things change, but not too much different. Like we still have just the core, the core foods. Did you? It was crazy. It was insane. When we did it. Did you like? Run out of food after three hours and you were done, or did you like no, make no, we, it through? We did it all night. We did it all day long. We had, you know, we used their cooler for their brew pub to store stuff. So it was 
run across the field to the brew pub and grab more <laughs> shit and then cart it through thousands of drunk people. What was the next day soreness like after doing yeah. that? I mean, what's the audience on this? Uh, I, my <laughs> balls burnt. <laughs> <laughs> like I had miracles balls. <laughs> uh, so then you, you finished that, and what, then was it like, all right, now Thursday we're going to go to downtown Chicago? We didn't even, we, it, it took us three to four months to, to figure out it's time to go do lunch things. Like it was, we were both still working our regular jobs, and it was more of a part-time, like, let's feel this out. So we tried... All kinds of stuff that, like, in retrospect, you, you got to learn how to do it. Like, let's go to this play, and when the play lets out people. But in reality, like, you have to have, like, at least 50 people buy food for you to break even when you take a truck out. So, go, like, and then all our friends that work at bars, bring your truck to the bar. And 15, 20 people, even if it was the biggest bar in the world, right. you have to have 50 people at least. And was there a problem sort of being in the second wave that, um, like, there wasn't, like, the consumer literacy, too? That, like, there wasn't the mode? I think we were at the best spot to be because the first wave people were very kind and sweet and very much it was a family and we all helped one another out. And so we kind of came in. If anything, we were, like... But everyone was cool to us. Probably cooler than I was the third wave people. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to the third wave people in a second. But so the, the thing that unlocked it was like figuring out what, like when did you guys first start going to like Daily Plaza and stuff like that? That came along, that was like, that eventually came because of some third wave issues, I would say. Are you ready to talk third wave? Yeah, I mean, it's not, what, what happened, and it's not the third wave trucks fault at all it's because the city of Chicago is not designed for food trucks they're not food truck friendly so when there were spots downtown that were very lucrative you could you could bang out a lot of covers during a lunch what was your favorite spot uh, Wacker and Adams was one and then Clark and Monroe were the two spots so back when there was just a handful of trucks, the first right. and second wave people, you could balance those out and everyone got a spot. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of new trucks came in, nothing wrong, nothing personal against them, there just wasn't room. Do you have an enemy truck? No. Not no. anymore? There may have been some weird blood in the early days, but everything's, we're all on the same. Um, I'd read you, you had to adapt or evolve or die basically and it became like there's there just wasn't spots for everyone do you i i don't have any sense like i know that there are statistics thrown around about restaurants all the time like only one in six like survived their first year and whatnot do you have any sense of what the failure rate is on food trucks i don't know i've also heard that that's a false that that's kind of just an urban legend statistic. it seems to not really match the eye test of like walking walking around a neighborhood no. but yeah um, I know, I've, I, I, I'm a member of some food truck groups online, and you see people selling them all the time. Julia Fields from The Reader did a great article a few years ago about where she has the statistics. If anyone wants, just Google Reader Food Trucks Julia Thiel, and she talks about how they went from 100 licensed trucks to... 60 or something like that and as far as like the actual you know one of the themes we get to is 
um, you know, the kind of the tragic intersection of like public policy and regulation with just like what people are trying to get done on an everyday basis. Like, is the biggest pain point as far as regulation like the two-hour limit, or like what what is the what are the things that actually not having place to park? The two-hour limit you could get around because mm-hmm. you don't really need more than that. It doesn't hurt as much as not having a place to park. Like a dedicated bit. What do you mean not having a place to park? Like I, we had those two areas, and like it would have been cool if we could have had an extra block down to that. So it was just like 15 food trucks, but it, at that it was just like maybe only seven could fit in there, mm-hmm. and we're all fighting. So what eventually what had to happen was you had to buy like a jet beater car and park there overnight and eat up the tickets downtown, or just either play the game of like get up in the middle of the night and keep feeding the meter or just get the $150 ticket. And then that starts, start putting that into your budget. Right. That's like, and that, then there's construction or they film a movie and then you got to leave and then you lose your spot and then you got to start all over. You got to get up in the morning. And but, when they, so literally it was like the, the best practice was you get like a $300 piece of shit and park it there the night before. And yeah. then that thing just gets, then you have two people in your food truck. One gets out, moves that and then you got to keep paying for parking downtown <laughs> this is great this is real this yeah. story this, is not, i don't this think is it, why yeah. we have the demon tat now because we're like this is not sustainable it like became you're looking at that that was like 150 dollars a day and then you have a shitty day where it rains it gets to the winter time and it's like why are we paying $150. Well, it's like, it's almost like the the world's, like, biggest city restaurant tax. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And that, that was like, did it get to the point where it was like, if you don't have a, if you don't have a beater car, you're not actually trying. You're not trying. I mean, you could have a restaurant and have a food truck and just do festivals and stuff like that, which is kind of the angle that we're at now, or we're pre-COVID. Because that's like what... Like, obviously, like, Giordano's has a food truck now yeah, and stuff. Yeah, big stars, stuff like that. They don't go out and hit the streets and do lunches and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on, like, the Johnny-come-latelys? Because, like, that, I, I mean, I, I think specifically that downtown scene is so interesting when, like, I don't know, there was this piece because it's, like, you guys or the Fat Shallot or whoever that there was this notion that it's, like, this is really cool, unique food that you can only get. But then it's, like, oh, like, Giordano's has a food truck and, like, Nike has a truck that is yeah. selling food or whatever. Um, is that sort of like when you knew it was time to get into a more permanent yeah. thing? Yeah, I mean, they were always there. It, I don't... We live in a capitalist society. I, I can't... Some days it bothers me and some days it doesn't. Like, yeah. I'm kind of happy in where we were pre-COVID. Like, our shtick was working out for us. And then you rolled the, the truck into the bar. Yeah. Because you had that a following. That was a decision, like, I mean, I can re- remember some of those days as clear as yesterday. It was around, it was in 2016, summer of 2016. I remember being at the Aeon Center, and it was... On like, Randolph right there? Yeah. yeah. No, uh, Aeon Center's up, like, almost on the lake. I can't remember. The oh, 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 as you, get, as you get elevated. Like, yeah. Randolph goes up, and then there's that, like, little kind of neighborhood in the sky type yeah. thing. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. The firehouse is right there. and There's uh, Whole Foods and yeah. stuff around there. Yeah. Um, 
and it was crappy. And I was just, uh, and I was on the phone with my buddy Eddie. And I was, Eddie, Eddie, that you oh, know his family. Eddie Wagonic, shout out to the St. Giles Lions. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, I don't, you know, just leaned on him. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, this food truck is like, like, isn't really sustainable on these lunches anymore. Like we're doing great at festivals at street fest. Did you guys do like Lollapalooza and stuff? We didn't do Lollapalooza. Uh, Pitchfork, we did Pitchfork and all the street fests in town, um, mainly. And those were great. Those were fantastic. A lot of beer festivals. We're tight with a lot of beer people, so we got in at all their fests. And so then, as you were getting to the point of, uh, like the, the, the lunches were just like not. There was too many other trucks out there. Yeah, and then the whole schlep, you know, the stress of moving the cars and all that kind of stuff. It was like, were you guys like the hustle we signed up for? Were you guys like out of a shared kitchen at this point, or like yeah, how in the prep? Place, yeah, we were out of a shared kitchen. And then, as there are more food trucks, that probably becomes more competitive. And yeah, yeah, uh, you know, you have my retroactive sympathy. We still are out of a shared kitchen. <laughs> um, the uh so the piece of like getting to the point where you're like we're going to take this concept this food the beer connections we're going to open uh, a physical place i have two questions for you one if you hadn't started on the food truck to get to the idea of let's open a bar and restaurant would you have like been ready to do that, that was or always the goal. that was always the goal it was just like no it was just one of those like we have to pull the trigger it's like we have to do it now yeah and to make like to make it through the winter. It's time. What went into selecting like this location on on Belmont? Like I know that Square had been here previously, but um, yeah. it just kind of just fell. It just was ready to go. It was ready. Turnkey it was turnkey. We could have kept it as Square. Mm -hmm. You know, we bought the business, so it was ready to go. But we. Uh, put our own touches it's not too much different than it was it's it was ready to go we liked the neighborhood we had a good feeling about it like there were some other we, we looked at some other places but this just seemed to be like I think this would work out and then you and I have sort of talked about the because the the place on Belmont which we're currently in so people can't see it, but I'm pointing at the floor um, open in 17 Beginning, very beginning of seventeen. Very beginning of seventeen. Second, second or fourth. And so it was the January fourth. And so it was. Uh, it was a building process to kind of unlock that. That you guys feel like you really started to hit your stride in in nineteen. Is that correct? Or how would you describe kind of that build process? I mean, seventeen and eighteen, half of eighteen were rough, and then I, I would say that nineteen, it really started to click. How was day one here compared to like? Dark Lord Day. I mean, what we we did a couple soft openings uh, with friends and family and press, and they were like bonkers, and we we're like hell yeah. And then day one was like crickets and tumbleweed. <laughs> Please give me money now, like yeah. I remember standing up in that kitchen and looking out, and there was like two people in here, and I'm like this fucking sucks. Isn't it, isn't it weird how now we're in here and there's two people in here and it's yeah. like, man, this is pretty good. But yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't, the, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be at, uh, when we first opened. We actually didn't have these 
benches because we, and we just had a rail because we thought there would be a line, uh, a line of people coming to get food because that's what it was at the food truck downtown at the fest. So we thought we would have that that same thing would transfer that, here. That same migration. And yeah. what was it? Um, to get to the point, because you, you guys built up just this huge following around like uh, you know Dungeons and Dragons and other things like that, and do you attribute that to sort of you because that was ahead of Stranger Things and all that that like are you are you the are you guys like so on trend that everyone's catching up to you I mean, for what's we were cool? Always, we were D and D guys for years. It kind of is how this place got started. Like. Our initial investor was a guy we played D&D with. And so D&D is in the DNA of this place. Did he invest in, like, gold coin? Yes, the platinum pieces. <laughs> platinum. 150 platinum to buy the food truck. <laughs> um, I mean, how, how do you sort of... Uh, uh, or how have you felt then as, like, D&D has sort of become mainstreamed a little bit in that, like... Um, is that something that you're all about and like glad that more people are doing it? Sort of like you guys are just sort of doing this because it was in a TV show. I have mixed feelings about it. I like, to me, it's always been there in pop, pop culture. I, I, I don't see that it ever wasn't there. It was in E.T. back mm-hmm. in 1983. They were playing D&D. Uh, they had a community episode about D&D in like 2010. Did they? Uh, yeah. Huh. I'm, I'm watching Community right now. I'm they pulled to... it. Oh. Um, talk about there's something that's... D&D's gotten very politically correct, which we could have a whole podcast about that. I, I'm sure there are many podcasts about this that yeah, probably they pulled, it. they pulled that episode out of... Uh, but anyway, that was in 2010. There was a D&D Community mm-hmm. episode. It, it seems like, I mean... I'm 36, so I'm like one of the older millennials, but I, it, it seemed to me that there was, for a couple of reasons, this sort of like late onset surge of people who maybe wouldn't have... Well, I want to talk about how you got into D&D and your... Well, I, I attribute D&D's popularity to uh, Lord of the Rings movies and Game of Thrones and Adventure Time and things like that. Like, the past 20 years, uh, fantasy has become such a part of pop culture and what we are that like I couldn't imagine people enjoying the Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones the type of people back when I was 13 and started playing D&D. right right like so let's talk about normies. this normies <laughs> right that's, well, that's what I'm going for is normies yeah Thrones and like cool people watch Game of Thrones like that didn't happen so you started playing when you were 13. Like, how did you discover it? How was it getting into it? I remember a Life magazine that had an article about it, my parents' Life magazine, and it was just one of those pre-internet people were talking about, hey, there's this game, D&D, so me and a gang of dudes in uh, junior high started playing down in my basement. Do you have, like, a favorite character who's been laid to rest that you want to give a little bit of run on this podcast? Yeah. I had a, a half-elf ranger... Female ranger named the Nari Foe, who was like, she was gnarly. She had boots of levitation, so she could float up in the air and snipe people. She rarely got hit. What happened? Uh, what happened was we were a meteor that contained all the elder gods was on heading towards our planet, and I teleported up there and we killed the elder gods. 
and then I was teleported back and rolled two ones in a row and died in impact. Do you think that was the revenge of the Elder Gods? Possibly. <laughs> How do you kill the Elder Gods? Just by shooting them with arrows? They were just so badass. That we were like 17 level. <laughs> Man. That was our final episode of that. That was a nine year, nine year party that we built up that long. Was it? I'm, I'm like getting caught up in that moment. So it's like you, you come down from stopping the meteor, and you're thinking like, like, like I tell you can teleport to where any place you remember. So I looked up. We were up in the air coming in, and I wanted to teleport before we hit the atmosphere, and I messed up. Rolled a one. But you had to roll one twice for in order for the character to die. I rolled a one, and that was to see if it was a critical fail. And it was. Was it like as soon as that first got a one? Picture of the one somewhere. As, as soon as that first one one hit, like you was, knew, yeah. you're like, I could if I could bet on this next roll being a one, it's going to be a one. I didn't. I, yeah, and I didn't really mind. Like I said, it was the final episode, and I kind of liked the idea of me of the people in my hometown looking up at the sky and seeing like this. Like, yeah. Shooting star that was actually a Nari foe floating through the sky. Man, that's the most beautiful story that's it's ever gorgeous, been isn't it? told gotta, on this podcast. People, people aren't gonna, people aren't gonna believe this. Um, so then you you get into D and D. Like the D and D is going here. I want to sort of like um, shift forward to you know the problematic nature of like trying to run a hospitality business in the pandemic was it like was one of the moments when it really sunk in for you when you had to like send a note out to the D&D crew that it's like you guys were locked down the game's not happening next yeah. week and I don't know when it's going to happen again we had a lot of things we had like I work Wednesday and Sunday nights so Wednesday I build up the D&D night and then Sundays was an open mic comedy night and like I had both those two like were gone and now they are gone. I don't know. I, I'm still tight with the D and D guys. They will be back. Uh, comedy guys like kind of moved off. Comedy. Yeah. So like we also had a karaoke night on Thursdays. That was. Yeah. And that was like for charity. Like all the tips went to charity. So we would have the charities like promote, and they would bring people out. And it was like you got new people in here. And it, 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 it was called karaoke for a cause and help people out. It was really cool. And we got to build all that back up again. Man, I mean, it, it also is just tough in that, like, I feel like comedy wasn't really on people's minds in 2020 type thing. No, I mean, it was. That could be a hard night. <laughs> yeah, I think it could be. It could be a hard night, you know. Is is laughter really the best medicine? We're gonna find out. Laughter is the best medicine. Though. I don't tell you that. Like I, I lost my mom in twenty ten, I think. God, I should know that. Um, I always tell people when their parents die or something. It's like try to laugh because I remember we laughed that night. We told some stories about. Them silly things my mom said or did and the actual laughter like made you feel so much better until you went to bed and the demons yeah. came out yeah I mean I, I, I'm with you I mean my mom passed away in 2014 so I, I can I can definitely sympathize with a similar thing not to be an asshole about it but like that's not medicine no it's medicine not. actually you know yeah. it's, it's a very different purpose yeah. but um, uh, laughter is the best exercise to help yeah ever. it's it's the best detox um, 
So then, like, when lockdown happened in March or whatever, was it something where you sort of, you guys had seen, like, this place was a ghost ghost town, like, the day before Pritzker shuts it down, or was it like... Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was, like, it, it, that's, it was something else. We it, had, like, a bunch of shitty things happen that night. We had big plans, like, we had just started doing brunches, and we were going to have a brunch that day, and we had to cancel, like, the brunch, and... And it was weird that, it, like, everyone's assuming, like, man, this is going to be a... Scott fucking brunch, man. Third wave. That, that was also, it was Jimmy Buffett day. Like, we had, yeah. like, my family, my sister is a Jimmy Buffett fan, and two other employees that are, like, parents, and, like, you know, we have some loved ones. Yeah. We had this inside joke, and we defended Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> uh, you know, and it we did some research, like, Jimmy Buffett is a really cool, he's actually a really cool guy, he, like... Anti-Trump. He did a uh, anti-Trump rally outside Mar-a-Lago, and he doesn't care if he loses fans. He yeah. started an indie record label because he thought the majors didn't. You know, so there's all this other funny kind of a comedy routine about how Jimmy Buffett is actually Jimmy cool. Buffett's so we had man. Jimmy Buffett Day. We made cheeseburgers of paradise and margaritas. And that was the day before we closed. Uh, I mean, that sucks. We're kind of yeah. sitting in here with Hawaiian shirts on. <laughs> <laughs> Playing Margaritaville and everyone's crying because we thought we were all gonna die. Oh god! It and did, did you go through the process too, where it's like, in either, we're either gonna be open in four weeks or like we're all gonna be in this world of like the the future in the Terminator movies, where it's like trash can fires everywhere and it was uh, definitely you would go back and forth. I think everyone was that way. It was like a windshield wiper. Like, yeah, we're gonna die. Everything's gonna be fine. We're gonna die. Everything's gonna be fine. We're gonna die. Yeah. So so then when you guys were shut down, like, at what point did you kind of send the food truck back out into the world? Because that was the first thing you guys did, obviously, before you were able to do anything indoor, right? Oh, the food? No, we kept, we focused on carryout. Oh, okay. But, and I mean, that, take yeah. the food truck out. Huh. Uh, how the food, it's actually a good segue how the food truck came back to life. Uh would be a good segue into the next thing to talk about. But yeah, it was carry out. It was carry out, and carry out was really weird at first because we were so skittish. We were like cats. Mm -hmm. you know, people would come in, and we would like glove up and. This was when everyone was like, food, and then they would scurry in, and you know. You like, need to wipe down your groceries. Every, yeah, yeah. The whole grocery wipe down time. Yeah. Toilet paper was missing. Stuff like that. Dark days, man. Um, Going on the year anniversary of that. It is crazy that like you see stories about like China is dealing with Lunar New Year, blah blah blah. And it was like that was the that was like the thing at the tip of everyone's tongue of like this is the perfect storm. Um, like obviously the carry out piece, like that's only going to take you so far. Was that was that as much about just like getting through your inventory on hand and having something to do as it was about I mean, actually? It was just. An, ad an, an adaptation and like it actually the carryout really helped out because like when people were getting the 600 extra in unemployment uh, people were ordering from us and then mm -hmm. the stimulus check like it wasn't like the worst we were able to keep our heads above water mm -hmm. it only started to get kind of bleak when those things right. ended but then they opened us back up again so I mean it was always it was just Hustle, 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 hustle. We started selling hamburgers off the food truck. And we had like hamburger bar. 
Is that so? It was like you guys realized that the takeout market could at volume be somewhat sustainable, and then you sent the food truck back out to like double well, your. What, what initially got the food the dust blown off the food truck was after the George Floyd verdict and all the social unrest that happened in the city. We decided that we didn't want to sit around and be. We wanted to become more active, so we took the truck out mm. to areas that were hit and affected by. Uh, any riot action that happened. Mm -hmm. And we went out to like kitchens that were feeding. And, you know, we just went out and fed. And it was very, very eye opening and very like, I don't know how to explain it. It was weird. It was weird isn't the right word, but like we were out in it. But you, to I mean, like areas yeah. that were hit. And we, you know, we just took our food and gave it away and we met all kinds of. Community organizers and things like that, and we went out to clean up crews, and it was like, wow, we're you know this is like we're like we're doing something right. And then at the same time, our good friends over at uh, uh, Mars Brewing mm -hmm. and uh, Kimsky's Restaurant, they were kind of doing the same thing. And then we got to talking on the phone, and it was like. They started this thing called Community Kitchen, which we're a part of now, which is more, they had the... That's the box right at the front, by the door? That's other, that's kind of tied in. I can get you this paper. I'll pause. We're rolling. Yeah, so we started with, we, we started working with the people at bars, Ed Marzewski and Juan Kim. I hope I said your name right, Ed. Marzuski, some Ed something Polish, uh, <laughs> and what it is is you people donate money to the organization, and then it's given to restaurants to feed people, you know, food insecure. Right, uh, and it works out really great. Uh, it was a concept that kind of it was one of these celebrity chefs thought of it, like suggested it to the government. Like this is the government should pay to keep restaurants open. Oh yeah. To keep the I'm, people employed and to keep the food coming in because it you know it, it's more than just restaurants. Yeah. You know like the staff, but it's like but it's the, it's the suppliers, it's the delivery the people, and, yeah. The paper products, like all that slows down in restaurants. Mm -hmm. So this the idea is if you want to keep all that going, like just get the money there, and that's yeah. I forget the formula where it's like fifty dollars given to like a working person who multiplies gives out. 50, it multiplies out. Yeah. Instead of giving it to a rich person who throws it in the bank. It, yeah. Is it um like probably then this most recent stretch like uh, from the closings at the end of October after the unemployment had run out and there was like not stimulus coming out like that october to just opening back up a couple of weeks ago like that's that's the worst part right that was bad but we so we are also part of the chris kindlemark uh every year and that's a big thing that really helps us out that's a big part of our identity and that was closed so we thought why don't we take the food truck and sell some Chris Kindlemart items, mm -hmm. and then we got blessing from the market themselves to, to sell some mugs. And so we had like our mini Chris Kindlemart here. And Belmont. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Pause. So the mini Chris Kindlemart like was 
really that really helped Just us me. out during the what it would have been like the worst time. Uh, but that came with its own, you know. That was a lot of people, and we had to manage a lot of people. And it was like while the <laughs> coronavirus was coming at its peak, and it was like, ah, this is great and sucks at the same time. Well, can I, like, as a, as a, you know, a parent and just someone who's like having to then be around people to do stuff. Um, I don't want to out you whether what your what your vaccination status is now. Uh, if you don't want to be outed for what your vaccination status is now, but um, how was the anxiety like through that period? Of high, high, very high. I cried. I, there was eventually I had to cry. I called up my best friend, who's a professor at Dartmouth. Let me get a little humble brag. <laughs> uh, I called him on the phone from the Aldi parking lot. It's like, fuck this. We've been abandoned by our government. Yeah. <laughs> Republican, Democrat, I don't give a shit. They left us out here to hang to, like, beg for scraps to, like, keep our businesses open. And, like, they did, they, you know, they weren't there. It was like they decided to either keep the economy open or make us healthy, and they didn't do either. Yeah. They didn't keep the, they, they did a half-assed job of helping the economy and a half-assed job of keeping us like healthy. I mean, so how, we were out here floundering. But like for you guys personally, being able, having been able to operate and do all these things and not have any incidents is pretty pretty amazing, really. Like, I, I, is it going to be the type of thing that you like? six months from now or a year from now or whatever, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, holy fucking shit, I can't believe that we had to do all that. I mean, there was always, like, every... It would be... Yeah. I mean, there was always testing and fears. Like, so-and-so roommate was hanging out with someone, you know, like, like yeah. that, I mean, that's going on everywhere. Yeah. And, like, constantly, especially during those... T- it was just like, oh, shit, so yeah. Jimmy two times came and he, girlfriend's best friend. Fucking Jimmy dog two times. Yeah. Second cousin touched someone last week. Tested, you know, it was just like that. For, it's been like that since March. But since you got vaccinated, it's like is that is that a game changer in your own peace of mind? No, I forget that I'm vaccinated. Actually, I, mean, I still haven't had the second one. So. Right. Um, as you sort of like think of the the rest of you know the bar's life and the rest of the food truck's life is there going to be stuff i think we've talked a lot about things that um there's kind of regret around having had to stop that it's gonna be tough to start back up is there stuff that sort of like you're not going to pick back up and you're sort of grateful for the fresh start i mean our, our takeout and delivery game is definitely way more stronger than it was before that will probably be uh, that will be yeah, it's more than triple. So we we hope to keep that up. Uh, that's something that positive that came. Out. I mean, nothing positive came out of this. It's, but if you're going to reach, if you're going to have to move forward, yeah, yeah, our carry out delivery game is a lot tighter. I think that will be the biggest thing to come out. Um, anything with like oh, and this. 
the community kitchen is pretty positive. It feels good. But we've always been involved with like the Lene School, raising money for Lene and various fundraisers. But it feels good to. It feels good to uh, be a part. This is like we give these free meals out. We've just been handed uh, one of the um, passes or tickets for the for the community kitchen meals. I'll post a photo of this. It, wow, you guys list out every single ingredient, multiple languages. This is very, uh, very nicely done. Um, all right, as we're entering the home stretch here, because it's almost three o'clock on Friday, and you know, if one more person walks in, it's officially a rush. Um, anything else? Any other parting thoughts you want to give to the? To if you've got a little extra money, go to communitykitchen.com or it's .org. Let me look up It's good. Building anticipation. .org. Communitykitchenchicago.org. And uh, if you have a little extra money to spare, maybe give some money to that. It helps out. It helps keep the machines rolling. It helps people in need. It's a beautiful organization. There's also wherewithal is involved in it. Over right up on Elston, yeah. On Elston. There's another Chicago uh, Avondale business that's involved in this. Um, all right. Sean Podgurski of Demon Tap and the Donnerman Food Truck. These are. It took me a long time to master what's Donnerman and what's Demon. One and the same, but different. Um, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a wide-ranging and illuminating conversation. Um, thank you, maybe more than anything else, for stopping that meteor. <laughs> Anari. Thank, thank Anari. Right, right, right. Exactly. Thank Anari. Uh, all right, Sean, thank you very much. This has uh, been great. And uh, everyone come out to uh, Downerman Demon Tap either for limited socially distant in person or else uh, carry out, which is the most popular thing in town. It's uh, the Demon Tap. It's at 2849 West Belmont and uh, can also be found via Google at uh, Donnerman in the search bar. All right, thanks everyone. All right, thank you.